Thanks. Shall we just pray as we look at God's word together? Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that we can worship you, that we can be your community. But, Lord, we do just want to keep that challenge in our minds about our brothers and sisters, Lord, across the world, Lord, who don't get to experience Sunday morning in the way we do. Lord, for many Christians, um, worship together, Lord, is, is outlawed. For many Christians, Lord, it's a rarity to meet with other Christians, Father, bar maybe four or five. And Father, for some Christians, it's an underground experience, Lord, where they have to come in over the course of two to three hours, Lord, so not to be spotted. Lord, what does, goes unreported on the mainstream media, Lord, I believe, breaks your heart. Father, I ask for forgiveness for us in this church and many churches in the comfortable West, Lord, who, who don't love their neighbour who don't love their brothers and sisters, Lord, with deeds. We may pray occasionally, but Lord, you called us to be a people of action as well. Father God, as we prepare a few special prayer prayer times in this church, may there be more than just prayer. May there be prayer followed by action. Uh, And may we not turn a blind eye to the plight of our family across the world. And just Lord, now as we look at this topic of compassion, we can't not have um, Jean's point in our mind as well. It's wider than this church here. It's wider than this town. It's wider than our families. Lord, it's compassion on all who don't know you, on all who do know you as well. So, Lord, touch our hearts this morning as we look at your word together in Jesus' name. Amen. As a little boy, uh, about 10 years old, standing outside a shoe shop window in uh, a roadway, barefoot, obviously poor, peering through the window, shivering with cold, a lady approached a boy and said, My little fellow, why are you looking so earnestly into this window and he said to her I'm asking God to give me a pair of shoes that was his reply the lady took pity on him took him by the hand and went into the shoe shop and asked the assistant to get her half a dozen pair of socks for the boy she asked him also to get her a basin of water and a towel he quickly brought them to her she took the little boy into the back part of the store removing her gloves knelt down and washed his little feet and dried them with a towel. By this time, the assistant had returned with the socks. Placing a pair on the boy's feet, she brought him a pair of shoes too. She tied, them, tied up the remaining pairs of socks and gave them to him. She patted him on the head and said, No doubt, my little fellow, you feel more comfortable now. As she turned to go, the astonished lad caught her by the hand and looking up at her face with tears in her eyes, answered the question with these words, Are you God's wife? I'm so pleased you said R. <laughs> There's something godly about showing compassion, isn't there? There's something very godly and holy about loving your neighbour and loving your enemy, but not just in our words or our intentions, but in our deeds as well. There's something of God about stepping out of where we're comfortable and stepping into where somebody is uncomfortable and giving out of, our, uh, out of what we have to those who have got nothing. Our series, uh, we're looking at compassion over the next six weeks. Uh, Our series has got a funny name, um, uh, Paraclesis, it's called. The church is the only place you'll probably hear first century Greek words used, or at least anglicized first century Greek words. And uh, and this word paraclesis is about coming together and journeying with people in their trouble. Our key verse for this series is 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 4, where Paul writes of God In fact, I'll go from verse 3. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves 
receive from God. Really, what should drive us to show compassion to each other in this church, and in fact anyone we may meet, is the fact that God has already come alongside us and shown us compassion. If you're a Christian this morning, you've already experienced the compassion of the living God. You've experienced it first and foremost 2,000 years ago, long before you were born, long before you even cared that there was a God, when he already allowed his son to be crucified for your sin because of your sin. That was God's compassion in an amazing uh, display of love. But also, every time someone has come alongside you in your hour of need, was that not the will of God? Was that person not there to say the right thing at the right time, to walk with you through a difficult situation? Was that not in the sovereignty of God for your good and for your benefit? Sometimes we can be the tangible presence of God and we should be the tangible presence of God to other people. And we should do it because we're grateful for what God has already done for us. Somebody once said, we're not put on this earth to see through one another. We're put on this earth to see one another through. We're not put on this earth to see through one another. We're put on this earth to see one another through. The aim of these six talks in our connect groups on a Sunday morning is to create a culture of care in this church where the question, who cares, is no longer uttered by anybody. But the problem with culture is you can't buy it. You can't download the app of culture You have to work at it. You have to create it. You have to become what you want to. Somebody once said, everybody wants to right the world, but nobody wants to love their neighbor. Everybody wants to right the world, but nobody wants to help their neighbor. If we want a culture of real compassion and real love and real care in this church, we must start with the people very closest to us. In Hebrews 10, verse 24 to 25 The writer says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We're called to spur one another on in love and good deeds, not just to say, well, I'm doing this, what are you doing? But actually, come on, we can all do this. We're together to spur us to be a community that makes a difference with the love of the living God. And that word habit that's mentioned there in in verse 25, the word habit in Greek is the word ethos. How do you create an ethos amongst a group of people, a culture? How do you get that? You get it by having good habits. As Julie said, what you spend your time doing becomes your habit. It is your habit. It becomes your ethos. It becomes your culture. Therefore, if you spend your time doing things you shouldn't, thinking things you shouldn't, saying things you shouldn't, that will become your ethos, your culture as a human being. So if you want to change who you are, you have to change your habits first. And the ethos and the culture that surrounds you will change slowly over time. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, says this. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. I always think that's an interesting verse. We can be so focused on those who don't know Christ that we can forget to love those who do know Christ, especially in the family of believers. This is meant to be a place where actually we meet each other's needs, where we meet each other's emotional, spiritual, and, yes, physical needs. 
You could even say, in fact, if we were a first century church, I would be making this next statement. There should be not one person amongst us who has nothing. There should be not one person in this church who is poor. And there should be not one person in this church who is overly rich when there is someone who is poor. But we're in the 21st century and we've got the NHS, so it's all fixed, isn't it? Is it? The welfare state doesn't quite work the way it used to. We need to be for each other what society desperately wants to be. Start it in the church. Make a difference here in this room first. So, Julie read to us Mark chapter 6, verse 31 to 34. I won't read it again. You know the story well, hopefully, some of you, most of you. Jesus has been teaching, he's been preaching, he's been healing. He's amassed a mass, uh, mass following. They've followed him around. They get to this lake. They get in the boat to go across. The crowd sort of run round to meet them on the other side. If you've been anywhere, um, sort of in the Middle East and places like that, you'll know that crowds are very good at following someone they want to follow en masse. And they follow Jesus all the way around. And when they get to the other side... Uh, we realize that the disciples who have been with Jesus for a little while now actually are lacking Christ-likeness when it comes to compassion. They haven't quite got an ethos of compassion and care. They haven't quite got it in their DNA to love absolutely everybody. They haven't got a culture of compassion. In verse 6, it's abundantly clear where the disciples' heart is as they see this large crowd of people. Verse 36, we read this. Send the people away. This is what they say to Jesus. We start from verse 35, actually. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Do you know there's a a condition, a genuine condition called compassion deficit disorder? I only heard of it this week. Compassion Deficit Disorder. And apparently us in the West frequently suffer from something called charity fatigue. Charity fatigue, that you get tired of doing good to those who need it. Can you believe there's such a thing in a world where a loving, giving God has given us a DNA to be like his son? The Bible asks a question of compassion deficit Christians the following word in verse 17 of chapter 3 of 1 John. That was a mouthful, wasn't it? Um, Verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Ouch. It's not the awkward silence as John delivers that line to us. How can the love of God be in us when we see a brother or sister in need and have no pity don't care, not bothered. How can the love of God be anywhere in our heart? Um, that's the disciples, isn't it? Get, just send them away, it's late. I'm tired, I want to go home, Jesus. Uh, that's my words, not theirs. But compare Jesus' response to that of his disciples. In verse 34, we read this. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. I heard a story once of a a friend of a friend. All stories are friends of friends, aren't they? Um, And uh, this couple went off to India, and uh, and this couple had never been anywhere outside of Europe. And so they'd never seen some of the the extreme elements of poverty in the subcontinent. They'd never known what it is to be kind of um, have lots of people asking you for money when you land at the airport or in the taxi as you go through. 
And, and as they were in the cab going from the airport, as they drove down the street, they had lots of street children asking, begging for money, saying, please help, please help, please help. And the wife was so overcome with sorrow and sadness that you know what she did? She wound down the taxi window, much to her husband's horror, I might add, and she began throwing their holiday money out the window, first tens and twenties and fifties, then emptying her purse and then opening her bag to chuck everything out. And at that point, he reached across and wound the window up and I think put her in the uh, some sort of sleeper hold, probably, if you're a wrestling fan. And although we might say to ourselves, well, she ought to have had better control of herself in that scenario. Do you know what? I wonder, having lived in that part of the world myself and seen just how many people are stony-faced and pitiless in the face of poverty, I wonder if God would prefer us to be a bit more like that and a bit less like that. When we lived in Bangladesh, the amount of people I would see in their nice posh cars driving through streets with people in extreme poverty and just bounce straight off them. Who cares? I would think God would rather we were like that woman, in our hearts at least. So Jesus' reaction to that crowd is our example of how we should be compassionate to one another and the world around us. So just a few things to consider um, this morning. Number one, he accepts them. As that crowd is before Jesus, his first response is to lovingly accept them. Um, a, a, a caring culture, a compassionate culture, first and foremost, is a place where people are safe, where people are accepted, where people aren't judged or rejected. That's the first place. That's the first port of call. People should feel safe in a church community, not judged. Of course, when you accept Christ as your saviour, God begins to remind you of what holiness looks like. But a, a compassionate environment is never a judgmental one. Second thing he does is he validates them. His compassion shows this crowd that they matter to him. Um, they matter, they have value because he gives his time, he gives his um, efforts to feed them. Our time and our effort and our care for those who are in trouble doesn't just fix their problem. It actually shows them they have value. When I was at primary school, we used to sing a song. Don't worry, I won't sing it. Um, Would you walk by on the other side when someone called to aid? Anyone know it? Just a few of us? No? Seriously? Me and Jane. We'll sing it later. <laughs> um, no, anyway. Um, but it's all about, if you saw somebody on the side of the road, would you cross over, kind of go like that, and then get back on your way and go home? Would you? Would you cross over when you, someone called for aid? And one of the key things that people feel when things go wrong isn't just pain of what's happening. It's actually loneliness and rejection. They feel worthless because no one is stopping to help. So when we show compassion and we help people, we cure their loneliness and we cure their sense of feeling unimportant because we give our time to their problem. Care reverses both. Number three, Jesus reaches out to the crowd. The disciples are dismissive, aren't they? They see this large crowd as a burden. Lord, send them away, it's late. But Jesus invites them in. And in fact, he sees their needs and he invites them in still. He knows that they're going to have to be fed. When it says he taught them many things, that's not because Jesus didn't know they were hungry, because their spiritual need was probably is greater than their physical need. So he deals with their spiritual need. And then he says, let's feed them. Let's give them something to eat. Actually, you might notice that Jesus' care is proactive. He moves to help them long before they actually ask for it. Real compassion is proactive. There is a national problem at the moment in the UK, and it is a terrible problem. It's called holiday hunger. 
Some of you would have seen it on the news this week. Some of you may even have watched the Jamie Oliver documentary a short while ago, talking about how many families in the UK, more and more and more, cannot afford to feed their children in school holidays. They have the free school meals, some of them if they're fortunate. Many don't. When it comes to school holidays, they cannot afford to feed their children. There are stories of parents in this country eating wet tissue just to fill themselves up so their children can have their share. There are stories of families getting one shop and dividing it into between two households because neither can afford a full shop. This is the UK. This is your country and my country. And many people are hungry, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. We started Make Lunch in October of last year because we were asked as a church, but it feels good to know that actually long before it may even be being talked about locally in Sawbridgeworth. This church has been proactive. This church is already moving towards a nationwide problem, which is a Sawbridgeworth problem as well, long before people begin to say, help. We're already there. Not just make lunch. It might be Open Door or Zone or Haley. There are many things we do that are a bit more proactive, going to meet people's needs long before they might even ask for those needs to be met. That's real Compassion. Compassion accepts um, responsibility for other people. Compassion gives no excuses and places all that we have in the hands of Jesus. Compassion draws on Jesus' resources and example and reaches out to those who are needy where they really are hurting. Compassion demonstrates love and care by coming alongside those in need even before they ask. And whatever we have, we must give it to the living God. Whether it be woefully tiny in comparison to the need in front of us, we must allow God to take what we have and use it and multiply it to make a difference out there. I heard a story once of a a beach where a couple of thousand starfish had been washed up. You've probably heard it, some of you. And there's a little boy, or a little girl, I forget, uh, walking along, picking up one at a time, throwing one back into the sea, and the other one back into the sea, and another one. He or she has got thousands to go. She's no way going to be able to stop all of them dying. And this man goes up, we'll say little girl, um, and says, why are you bothering? You cannot possibly save them all. And she picks one up and says, but I can save that one. But I can save that one, etc., etc., etc. We must offer even our tiniest energy and resources for the living God to use in his amazing way. We must offer our time and our energy and our gifts into his miracle hands to be used by the king. So let us build a culture in this church, in our connect groups, where we serve across the church, in our town. Let us be known not just of a people that talk the good news, but live out the good news to anyone we come into contact with. Let us do the deeds that the very love of God is shown through to each other, to our friends, to our neighbours, and yes, even to our enemies. In fact, let me turn that the other way around. Let us show actions that show the love of God first to our enemies, then our neighbours, then our friends, and then each other. Let's put our enemies first for a change, not last. Because they're a lot harder to love. So let's prioritise them over those it's easy to love. Let me give you a challenge before I end of the story. This week, every day, start with this prayer. Lord Jesus, use me to make a difference in someone's life today. And then as you go about your day, imagine, this may be a stretch, but imagine Jesus is literally walking next to you. And when you see someone or hear something, just look across and think, what's he doing? 
and copy. And number three, be proactive. Don't wait to be asked for help. Try and listen to what people are saying quietly as they ask for help. And let me finish with a story. It's back to being about church. A friend of mine, a woman called Susan, who I've not seen for a few years, but we were, uh, did a bit of travelling with her a long time ago. She grew up in a church in Australia. And uh, her mum and dad were quite heavily involved. Her dad was a, a part of the church leadership, I believe, at one point. And then he began to suffer from depression. He suffered quite badly from depression. And as was often the case all those years ago, maybe through ignorance or lack of grace, many of the Christians in that church saw this as him not being very holy. They saw his depression as a sign that he had not been close enough to Jesus. And so people began to say to him, well, what sin have you not confessed to the living God? What is it you're not doing right? Have you asked God to heal you? Have you got enough faith, etc., etc., etc.? It got so bad that on their very final Sunday, my friend's mum stood up in the middle of a service and she said, I ain't never coming back to this church because you lot are a bunch of hypocrites. She never did. Let's never be that church. Let's let love and compassion reign in everything we say for each other. Shall we pray? Father God, we just... Lift up all these thoughts to you this morning. Lord, we thank you for that story. Lord, last week was a genuine story of Jesus. Lord, speaking about compassion. Lord, an analogy for so many things that even now uh, challenges us. But Lord, this week it is a genuine um, action that Jesus himself did a real example, Lord, of compassion in action. Lord, compassion that went beyond human resources. Yet one, Lord, that still speaks to us all these years later. Father God, we're just a few in this church compared to a town of 10,000. Yet, Lord, you call us to open our lunchbox like a little boy and say, here I am, Lord, send me. Lord, may we create a culture in this church where the word hypocrite and the words who cares are never, ever, ever uttered because it's obvious who cares and we live out, Lord, that compassion in our lives and our deeds. May we not be professional Christians who try our best to be like Jesus. May we be genuine Christians who are just Christ-like. Father God, put aside all ambition and pride and envy in any, every single one of us. May we just love each other, Lord, and spur each other on, rejoicing with each other, crying with each other, loving each other. May people mistake us for God in the way we act, Father. And Lord, use us in this town, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.